My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here at CORE. And if today's your very first time here, like Krista said, man, we just want you to know how incredibly excited we are that you have chosen to join us. Because around here, man, we get it. Just how difficult it is to take a chance to check out a place like this for the very first time. But this morning, we find ourselves diving into part three of this series that we've been in, that we've been calling I'm In. And this series is designed as a challenge to you individually and to us collectively. That we believe with all of our hearts has the potential to take our lives and our futures to a completely new level. To change the trajectory of our lives, our future, and our faith from this day forward. And what we know is this, is that those two words carry with it some of the most courageous action steps, maybe more than any two words in the English language. That being able to say, I'm in, often propels us into places of risk. It requires trust from us. And oftentimes in saying I'm in, regardless of the facet of life, the circumstance of life, or what area of life it's applied to, it often requires us to step into the unknown. But what I also believe about these two words is this, is that these two words also carry with it an incredible amount of potential. Potential to to change the direction of our lives, to change the direction of our future, and to ultimately change our faith and our relationship with Jesus if we walked into this place and we consider ourselves to be Christ followers. You see, what I believe with all of my heart is that these two words ultimately determine whether we experience the richer and more satisfying life that God intended for you and for I to live. You see, almost every single weekend around here at CORE, if you leave with nothing else, we want you to leave knowing this, that we have a God who is for us, a God who ultimately wants something for us and not something from us. And and if we're not careful, a series like this that is challenging us to say I'm in in four different areas can look like a series in which the local church is just asking for something from you. And yet what we want you to recognize, all of us to recognize collectively, is that this series is far more about something for you than it is about something from you. That this series is about a God calling you to a richer and more satisfying life from this day forward. And throughout this series, we're identifying these four areas of our lives in which we believe by saying I'm in can ultimately change our lives, change our marriages, change our parenting, change our finances, and change our faith. Just a couple weekends ago, we kicked off this series by identifying this hurdle that exists in our lives that holds us back from taking the courageous step to say, I'm in. This misperception that exists within every single one of our minds that ultimately keeps us from taking steps in the right direction. And that misperception is this is that for many of us, we look at our past or we look at our present, and what we see are a whole lot of missteps and a whole lot of mistakes. We see a whole lot of shortcomings that exist in the choices of our past or maybe even the choices of our present. And as we look at those missteps and mistakes and shortcomings, what we determine along the way is this, is that I'm not good enough and I will never be good enough. Our story is littered with brokenness, and that brokenness forces us to begin to believe that there is no way that a perfect God of the universe could invite me or accept me as I am and want to use me as a part of his plan in the middle of this broken world. And yet what we discovered two weeks ago was this, is that we have a God who's in the business of inviting those that others reject. If you've ever felt less than, if you've ever felt as if you're rejected by the world, we have a God who is inviting you to more. That wherever you are, God is inviting you to more. But we have a God who isn't just in the business of inviting those of us who feel as if we will never be good enough. We also have a God who's in the business of inviting those of us who have been doing this thing called church for an incredibly long time, or following Jesus for longer in our lives than what we can even remember. And because of that, we found ourselves somewhere along the way in this place of complacency, 
And as we look at our lives and how long we've been coming to church, how long we've been claiming to follow Jesus, we don't have the feeling about us that we're not good enough. We have the feeling about us that we are good enough. I've done enough, been doing this enough, and we even find ourselves somewhere along the way. Come on, y'all, you know this is true. We find ourselves playing the comparison game. And as we look at the person next to us, the person down the row from us, or the person across the room from us, what we recognize is that we're doing more than they're doing. And if we're doing more than they're doing, then we must be good enough exactly where we're at. And yet what we began to identify was this, is that we have a God that wherever you are, whether you feel as if you're not good enough or you find yourself in this place of complacency, a God who is calling you to more right here, right now, for the sake of your future, for the sake of the impact that you make in this world. And then last week, we continued by tackling this second opportunity that we have to say, I'm in. That ultimately, in all lives, just as we identified the truth wherever you are, you're being invited to more. Last week, we talked about this truth that wherever you are, you are valuable. In fact, you are more than valuable. You are invaluable. Because you individually were created on purpose for a purpose. You were created to do something no one else can do, to make an impact that no one else can make. But making that impact requires you to put to bed the myths that the world has fed you or your own mind has fed you, that you don't have the skills or that the church really doesn't need you or that you've got more important things to do or or maybe that you don't even know where to start or what your part is. It requires you to have the courage to get off of the sideline, to get into the game, and to just give something a try, knowing that somebody somewhere is waiting for you to do what only you can do, to impact their lives and impact their eternities. That happens when you say, I'm in. I'm invaluable, and I have a part to play. No matter how insignificant I may have deemed that part, I have a part to play that nobody else can play. And ultimately, that requires me to say yes to being on a security team or a host team or a kid men team or a small group leader in student men, for me to say yes to going on a global impact trip to another country in order for kids around the world to feel as if they're not alone and to see the hope and the love of Jesus in and through me, that I'm not just valuable. I'm invaluable. And today we find ourselves attacking this third opportunity. A third opportunity that we are offered to say I'm in that ultimately can change our lives for more and better, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves that ultimately impacts and influences the world around us. And this morning is no different than the first two weeks of this series. You see, this morning we have the unique opportunity to tackle another misconception that holds us back from saying I'm in within our lives, our stories, and our faith. But in saying I'm in, in this third area, ultimately it allows us to make the difference that we were created to make, to live out the purpose that we were designed with for this life. You see, when you hear the word influencer, where does your mind immediately go? My guess is that for a majority of us in the room, when we hear the word influencer, our mind typically goes to this concept of a social media influencer. If you find yourself in Gen X or Gen Z, there is this occupation that has grown over the course of really about the last half decade. A social media influencer is someone who has an occupation of really being an influencer through the avenues of Instagram or Twitter or TikTok. And social media influencers have several hundred thousand up to millions of followers. And when you Google influencer, do you know one of the first definitions that popped up? I literally did this this week. So when you Google the word influencer in our world, right here, right now, today, one of the first definitions of an influencer that pops up is this. Someone who has the power to dictate what someone else spends their money on. Can y'all believe that in our world, an influencer and the definition of an influencer has been reduced to that? That influencing another person is simply about you influencing how they spend their money or what they spend their money on? Maybe for some of us who aren't in Gen X or Gen Z, 
we find our mind drifting to a completely different place when it comes to what we picture when we think of an influencer. Maybe for you, it's a famous celebrity or athlete, a famous author, or a famous communicator or speaker who has thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions of people who tune in to listen to, to their work or what they put out in content, what they're saying through interviews that we watch our favorite games on the television. Whatever it may be that ultimately we begin to associate influence with the size of the people that we are influencing or the amount of people that we are influencing. That true influencers ultimately are simply people who influence a lot of people. And yet when we look at the word influencer through that lens and that definition, we are ultimately missing what an influencer really is. We're missing a truth that exists in every single one of our lives and in every single one of our stories, a truth that was handed down to us at conception by our Heavenly Father for our lives and the purpose that we were meant to live out every single day of our lives. You see, just as we've highlighted in the first two weeks, week number one, that wherever you are, you're invited to more. And in week number two, wherever you are, you are valuable. There is this third misconception that we must overcome with this truth, that wherever you are, you have influence, and you were meant to be influenced. Wherever you are, you have influence, and you were meant to be influenced. No matter who you are, regardless of your age, popularity, job title, or socioeconomic status, you have influence. You have a circle, no matter how big or how small that circle may be, that you have been put on this planet to influence the people within that circle. And the danger is, is that oftentimes we overlook our circle or we deem our circle insignificant because it's not as big or substantial as other people's circle. And yet what I want you and I to begin to believe and buy into and live all lives behind is this truth, is that regardless of the size of your circle, your circle has meaning. It has value and worth. That just as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that a God who looks at you with incredible value and worth, assigns that to you in your life, has also done the same for whoever is within your circle of influence as well. They are his creation, his humanity, and they have value and worth as well. Your circle is not insignificant. Your circle is meaningful. Even if your circle is only one kid or one spouse, or you find yourself on the completely opposite end of the spectrum. And your circle of influence encompasses 150, 160 students who walk through your classroom over seven periods every single day. Encompasses 50 or 60 or 70 football players on your team, or 20 young women who find themselves on the volleyball team in which you coach. Or you find yourself leading a department within your job in which 30 or 40 or 50 people look to you for your influence, your advice, your leadership. Every Every single day or you were an entrepreneur and years ago you launched your own business and now your company has hundreds of employees who are looking to you to lead them and influence them and pay them every single week so that they can put food on their table you see regardless of what your circle looks like every single one of us have a circle and every single one of us were created to make a positive impact on that circle. We were meant to use our influence to influence the people around us, no matter how small or how large that group of people is, in a positive way with what we have left of our lives. You see, the creator of the universe, when he put on flesh and stepped onto the pages of history, made that purpose known in every single one of our lives. That if we consider ourselves to be Christ followers, we were created as influencers for the world around us. You see, he makes it abundantly clear in this account that we find in the book of Matthew 
as Jesus addresses his disciples and his followers, not just 2,000 years ago, but those of us who claim to be following him right here, right now, today. He assigns a purpose for our life and our influence, no matter what our circle looks like. We find it in the account written by Matthew. Chapter 5, starting in verse 13, and you'll find it in your notes page inside the weekly that you were handed when you walk in, or everything will come up on the screen for you as well. But this is what Jesus has to say about you and I being seen as an influencer, no matter where we are, how young or old we are, what our socioeconomic status says, or the job title on the door says. He says this, for you are the salt of the earth. You see, 2,000 years later, it's ridiculously easy for us to overlook the importance of what Jesus is really saying in the context from which he was speaking this 2,000 years ago. You see, here and now, in 2023, we look at salt, and it's simply a flavoring mechanism. And while Jesus is referring to that, there's also a second, dare I say, more important role that salt played 2,000 years ago. You see, there was no refrigeration system 2,000 years ago. In order to preserve your meat or anything that needed to stay cold, there was but one way to preserve food and to keep it from rotting. You were to surround that thing with salt, and by keeping it packed on salt, you would then preserve it. No sticking it in the fridge and trusting that for seven days it wasn't going to turn green. You needed it to be surrounded by salt in order for it to stay good. As you live in what looks to be a rotting world, you are called to be the salt of the earth bring a hope and a love and a care and a grace that keeps the world around us from decaying. Isn't that incredible, y'all? You are meant to be a flavoring in a dull world that this world cannot offer. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. He doubles down as he continues in verse 14. Not only are you the salt of the earth, but you are also called to be the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. No matter how dark you may feel, how far gone you felt because of your past, the God of the universe, when he looks at you, he sees a light, a light that was worthy of being put on a stand to light up the rest of the house around it, the rest of the world around it, the rest of the circle of influence around it. And then he says, let your good deeds, your actions influence people around you so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. This is what we are called to. No matter where you are, you have influence. You were meant to be influential. But the problem that we often bump into is this, is that when it comes to the way in which we look at influence, we often associate influence with platform. And we often buy into to sayings like this, that ultimately the, the size of your platform will determine the scope of your influence, right? Deep down, there's some head nodding that exists inside of every single one of us that, that we have believed that the size of our platform will always dictate the scope of our influence. That how influential we are will be determined by how many people are listening to us, how many people are following us. That mindset leads us to believe that if we don't have an elevated platform by the world's standards, we can't have a very significant influence. But the problem with that mindset is that it misses the truth, y'all. You see, the truth about influence really isn't about platform. The truth about influence is this, is that true and lasting influence always begins with people, not platform. True and lasting influence always begins with people, 
not platform. Do you know what that means? It means that your influence isn't about position. Your influence isn't about title. My mentor used to say this to me all the time. He used to say, Ben, when it comes to your ministry and the future of your ministry, the success of your ministry, you are in a people business. And what you have to realize and wake up and remind yourself of every single day is this. People will do more for you because they like you than they will because of your title. People will do more for you because they like you than they will because of your title. You know what that communicates to? Your influence in the lives of other people will always be about relationship first, not about platform first. The shine of your platform will always wear off long before the power of your love and the power of your care does. Influence is always about a singular purpose or the histories of anything in the world Even invention that has ever grown or found success in our world, every single one of those things that grows and becomes successful always does so on the back of a ripple effect of influence. Moments of singular person-to-person influence build up over time leads to the success and the growth of any organization movement or invention in our world that has ever existed. We can all see it in our own personal stories, in the stories of any organization we've ever worked for, in the stories of any church we've ever attended. I look back over the eight and a half years, and really, y'all, this is all I can speak to because of this is my story. This is our story what my family has given our lives and our blood, sweat, and tears to. And some of you may be asking the question, you know, what is it that influenced Core Community Church to go from a church of 60 people to a church of 325 people every single Sunday? And the changes that have taken place over the course of the last eight and a half years were the major things that influenced that, you, Ben, or you and Krista, or you and a small group of leaders, or you and some of those original 60 people just sticking with it and sticking to it? Yet when I look back of the story and the only God moments over the course of the last eight and a half years, what I recognize when I'm forced to look close enough and get honest enough is this, is there, there are a whole lot of moments of influence along the way that have dictated how we've gone from there to how God's taken us to here. And what I pray with all of my heart is that he is far from done yet that the best is yet to come, and we have a God who is in the business of these moments of influence and working in and through people to influence others, to expand that growth and that movement. I look back to eight and a half years ago, being a young 28-year-old kid who walked into an interview in my hometown to lead a church front of a group of leaders, our board here at Core Community Church. And there I was, a kid who probably acted like he knew more than what he really did. A kid who was wet behind the ears, a kid who had never led an organization, never led a church before. And yet there were a small group of men who chose to use their influence and their leadership in this way, to take a chance and to take a risk and to be great leaders by being great followers to a young man who hadn't earned being followed. And they stepped out of their comfort zone and they took a risk and they wielded their influence with incredible humility to say, we're not sure you know what you're talking about, but we're gonna follow you and we're gonna let you lead and we're gonna let you make changes and we're gonna let you dictate a pace that we've never experienced around here. That there was a moment of influence in which they said yes and where I didn't deserve to be said yes to. I look back seven years before that, a young man coming out of college, 
trying to find his very first big boy job. And I walked into a church of 2,500 people. And they gave me an interview to start a ministry that didn't exist there at the church. And I'll still remember to this day, I was sitting there. My first interview was a one-to-one interview. And y'all, this does not happen. It was a one-to-one interview, just me and the lead pastor of an organization of over 2,500 people. And he sat down and he listened to me and we walked through the interview and he asked me questions and he challenged me. And I had brought my college advisor who had a relationship with, with this man, a man who's turned into my mentor, who I still meet with every single quarter to pour into me and to give me advice and to help me lead when, y'all, I don't know what to do or where to take us or where to go next. And I'll still remember my college advisor looking back at my mentor, the man who became my lead pastor, And he said, I get it, you may, I was like, I don't know if I should be offended or encouraged by this. You may not want to hire this kid now, but five years from now, you'll wish you did. And there was this moment of encouragement, this moment where he was speaking the potential that he saw into me, into someone else. And my college advisor was wielding his influence in a moment of encouragement in one conversation that ultimately changed my life and changed the direction of my ministry. What's so incredible is literally five years to the date, the summer of five years, my very first church chose me to be on a campus pastor track. And they moved me to a different campus and put me over everything from birth to graduation. And I was under an incredible campus pastor there. I was on this campus pastor track. And he said, I don't really think that public communication is my gifting. It's not really what I love to do. And so, Ben, on this campus pastor track, I'm going to give you as many opportunities as you want to be up on stage at a campus of about 750 people speaking in, in front of people and doing the communication pieces. And I walked up onto that stage just as terrified as I am every single week when I walk up here and yet God was speaking something into me and I fell in love with it because I wasn't gifted at it and I wasn't great at it and yet every single week it was a reminder of how much I needed to lean into God in order to get up on a stage and communicate for 35 minutes in front of a group of people who were skeptical every single week. This moment of influence that they spoke into me, that when I was 17 years old, a junior in high school, and I made the decision that, you know what, I don't think I'm going to go into the medical field anymore. I would rather be poor for the rest of my life. I think ministry is what I'm being called to. Then the moment that, that my father, who was so passionate about the local church, was upset and skeptical, like, you really want to be that poor for the rest of your life and do this instead of going to the medical field? I had a youth pastor who had invested in me and poured into me and saw the potential in me, even though I'm sure he saw a whole lot of character defects that supported my calling and challenged me and pushed me and gave me opportunities to explore that. And moment after moment where he wielded his influence with humility to pour into a young kid. I look back at my childhood and my father who taught me what it looked like to believe that the local church was the hope of the world, living and speaking the hope of Christ into the world around it, being poured into by a mother who really was the spiritual leader of our family, the one who was by my bedside doing devotions, the one who led me to Jesus for the very first time. That you can't just tell a story of the last eight and a half years without going back and seeing the ripple effects of influence that have happened all along the way. Of somebody pouring themselves into somebody else that ultimately produced a harvest somewhere down the road that they may never see. My father will never see the harvest of some of those moments. But it didn't deter him from planting the seed. And you see, all of us have that exact same opportunity. Man, can I just say this? You have no idea what one word of encouragement or one conversation might do to change somebody's life. Don't believe me? Recently, Barna did a study. And they began to do this study, this poll, on how people came to church for the very first time. As they began to collect all of this data, what they began to uncover was this. 2% of people came to church for the very first time because they saw an advertisement on social media. 4% of people came because they saw the church doing something in their community. 3% of people came because they saw something about how great of a kid man or a student man that church had. 
And ultimately what they found was this. 86% of people choose to come to church for the very first time because someone had the courage to personally invite them. Y'all okay? 86% of people choose to give Jesus a chance because one person had the courage to invite them. And I get it, y'all. There may be moments in which you don't get to see the harvest. But just because you don't get to see the harvest doesn't mean the seed hasn't taken root. You know what that means, y'all? There are seeds being planted in every no. That when you have the courage to step out and invest and invite somebody to come to church, even when they say no, God is at work in that. God is planting seeds in that for a harvest that will come to fruition someday that you may not get to see, but that will be worth it. Because of your influence and the way in which you choose to courageously use your influence. You have no idea how God can multiply a moment of courage. Don't think you matter enough or could possibly ever have enough influence to make a difference. Your creator says otherwise. And he makes this truth known through this incredible encounter that we see happen about 2,000 years ago when the God of the universe put on flesh and stepped onto the pages of history. It was an afternoon where Jesus begrudgingly took his disciples on a trip. And their trip was to a neighboring community called Samaria. The reason his disciples begrudgingly went is because Jews and Samaritans did not associate with one another. In fact, as a Jew, to associate with a Samaritan would be to make you unclean. It was a strike against you in your faith to associate with someone of Samaritan heritage. And yet Jesus took his disciples on a trip in the middle of an afternoon. And they approached a hilltop in which all the Samaritan women would have, would have visited every single day. Because this particular hilltop possessed the well to which everyone got their clean drinking water. Every day, all of the women in the morning would get up, and in groups, they would travel to the top of this hill to draw water for the entirety of their day. And they would lug these giant baskets of water back down to their houses to have clean drinking water, not just to drink, but to, to cook with, to wash their clothes with, etc. And yet here were Jesus and his disciples approaching this hilltop in the mid-afternoon. And here was this woman in the middle of the afternoon who found herself drawing water. And Jesus approached her and began a conversation with her. A conversation that caught this woman by surprise. Because she knew as well as anyone else that Jews were not supposed to talk to Samaritans. And yet Jesus engaged in a conversation that changed everything in her life and in her influence. We find this in John's account of the life of Jesus, starting in chapter 4, verse 9. Here's what it says. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? You see, many translations in the context and the lead up to the passage where we picked up in verse 9 describe this woman as an immoral woman. As an immoral woman, and we're going to find out in just a few verses why she was described as an immoral woman. But ultimately, this immoral woman, because of her past choices, her past mistakes, ultimately she had become an outcast within her village, within her society. The reason why this Samaritan woman was at the well in mid-afternoon in Middle Eastern heat was because she had been disassociated with the rest of the women inside of her village. 
None of the rest of them would travel with her because of her mistakes, because of her past, because of her background. And so here she was, forced to travel by herself. And every single day, this trip for her was a reminder of the shame and guilt that she had because of her mistake, because of her shortcomings, because of her choices. She was traveling alone and forced to lug around these giant, heavy cartons of water down from this mountaintop in the middle of the Middle Eastern heat, in the middle of the day. And here was this Jew asking her for a drink of water. And she said, why are you asking me? Why are you even talking to me, let alone asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you. Now this is important, y'all, because in this moment, Jesus is assigning value to somebody that the society has made an outcast. If you only knew the, God, the gift God had for you right where you are and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And then she points out the obvious. But sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you even get this living water from? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And then the woman says, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. You know what's taking place in this moment? This woman is begging for the hope of Jesus so that she doesn't have to make the march of guilt and shame, this reminder of her past and present mistakes every single day. Please give me whatever hope you have so that I don't have to keep making this walk by myself every single day, seeing myself as the outcast that I am, the woman full of shortcomings, the woman who has been deemed immoral and treated that way every single day then we find out why she has been deemed the immoral woman. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Why, with all of your value and worth, even as a Jewish prophet, would you be speaking to me as an immoral woman, an outcast of society? You see, the truth is, in that moment, Jesus didn't see an immoral woman. He saw a miracle waiting to happen. And the same is true of you. He doesn't look at you and see your mess-ups and your shortcomings. He looks at you and he sees unbelievable potential, an immense impact that was meant for you and only you to make with the influence you have been given in the circle, no matter how small or how large it may be. You are never too far gone to be reached by the love of Christ. And you know what else that means? The person or people that you are being called to and challenged to invite are never too far gone from the hope and the love of Christ as well. They're worth the moment of courage, the step out there to invite them. But then in this moment, when that shift takes place, something incredible happens. The outcast becomes the influencer. In verse 29, the woman says, 
Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. A woman who had been deemed an outcast, who nobody would associate with, who nobody wanted to listen to, left her jugs right there on that mountaintop and began running down the mountaintop saying, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And watch what happens through the words of an outcast who saw herself as an influencer. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. You see, in this moment, there is this truth that is coming to life. This truth that still rings true right here and right now, in the middle of your life, in the middle of your shortcomings. You don't have to have your life together to influence people for Jesus. You don't have to have your life together to influence people for Christ. You don't need to have a seminary degree, extensive biblical knowledge, or have gone to church for a certain amount of time. You know what you need? You just need to care about people. You don't need 400,000 followers around you to be an influencer. You just need to care about one person in front of you. That's what being an influencer looks like. But you weren't made just to influence. You were also made to be influenced. You see, too often we get sucked into the myth that other people have spoken into our lives or into the lives of the people around us. Maybe we've even uttered this before. You weren't created to be a follower. You were created to be a leader. And yet anyone who speaks with that knowledge has an incomplete and inaccurate view of what leadership really is, of what a person of influence really is. Because what they miss is this. Leaders are learners. Great leaders always began as great followers. Great leaders are humble enough to know that they need to seek wise counsel, that they don't have all the answers, that they need somebody pouring in to them. Great leaders recognize that you were created to pour into other people, but you can't pour from an empty cup. And so I need somebody else pouring something into me so that I have something to pour into the other people that I was created to influence. You see, the truth of the matter in all life is this, is that deep inside of us, all of us want to live out this purpose that we have been given to be influencers. And yet so often we ask the question, I don't know how to influence people. I don't know how to get better at this. I don't know how to influence people positively or in the right way. And maybe the piece that we're missing is this. Is that if you want to improve your influence, you have to be humble enough to continue being influenced. If you want to improve your influence, you have to be humble enough to continue being influenced. We were created for community. We were created to have a circle around us that was pushing us, challenging us, encouraging us to grow in our influence, to be better influencers to the people around us. It's the reason why the writer of Hebrews challenges us to this, gives us this advice for our lives, for our faith, for our future, for our influence. He writes this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us motivate one another to use our lives to influence the people around us in a positive way by our acts of love and our good works. And then he says this, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but, and here's this word, encourage one another. Look at the derivative of that word, encourage. Do you know what that's speaking into us? That by having a circle of people around us, a small group of people who are pouring into us, it is pouring courage into us. Let us encourage each other. 
to be able to walk out into our own worlds, our own circles of influence, and use our influence in the way we were designed to use it for good. Hello. Y'all okay? You see, the way you influence will always be dictated by the way you are influenced. Your friends determine the quality and direction of your life. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. But it goes one step further. Show me your friends, and I'll show you the future of your influence. You were made to be an influencer. But the impact of your influence will always be determined by the quality of your circle. And I get it, y'all. This takes courage. But you need to be in a life-giving group to be all in. You need to be humble enough to admit, I have to be influenced by great people to be a great influencer. Wherever you are, you have influence. And you were meant to be influenced. And you don't have to have your life together to do either of those things. You just have to be courageous. And when you are, things like this happen. When this outcast began to see herself as a person of influence, lives changed by the masses. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman who nobody ever wanted to listen to had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message. question is this, so how? How do I start taking steps to say I'm in as an influencer? Well, let me give you three simple ones that you can start right away. First, next weekend, we're going to begin giving you an opportunity to use your influence to invite somebody to church at one of our easiest invite opportunities of the entire year. You see, we're gonna begin passing out movie tickets next weekend that you can use as invites to a series that we do around here every single October called At The Movies. We deck this place out with larger than life movie props. We pop all sorts of popcorn, free Coke available, and every single week, we take some of the greatest blockbusters of all time. We relate them to big biblical truth to speak directly into people's lives. Why? Because around here, we're willing to do anything short of sin to reach the next lost person. And we want to give you an opportunity to use your influence to invite somebody to experience Jesus in a different way. So what would it look like for you to invite somebody? 86% come to church for the very first time because one person was courageous enough to invite them. Number two, you can't be a great influencer unless you are humble enough to be influenced. You need a group of men, a group of women, a group of widows, a group of students to be in a small group with to take this courageous step to say, in order for me to pour out well into other people, I need my own group of people who are pouring into me, who we are encouraging one another to live lives of courage that say I'm in, out in our world. You need to be in a group to give it a shot, to take that step of courage. And then third, every single weekend we're given a unique opportunity to use our influence in an often overlooked way. You see, you may not know, but every single weekend, there's a, about a 20-minute block within our services in which you have an opportunity to influence 
my guest, the person beside you that's within your circle of influence, the row that you came with that's within your circle of influence. Because what we often overlook is this, is that worship can be a witness. There are people watching the way you worship your heavenly father. And every single weekend, you have an opportunity to wield that influence by the way in which you let go. And you say, I'm in, by the way in which you worship. And strap in for just a second, because this is going to be tough for some of us. Regardless of if you feel it, regardless of if you're a good singer, regardless of if you connect with God best in that way. That every single week, we get an opportunity to declare God's truth. It's not just a rocking electric guitar or some slamming drums behind some music. It is biblical truth that we get to communicate back to our Heavenly Father every single week when we worship. That's a big deal, y'all. And it's an opportunity of influence for us to be in and to let go and to just worship, to just sing, and to give something back to use our influence by stepping out in courage in that way to model something to the people around us. You see, the question is this. You have influence, but are you, am I, courageous enough to use Father, this morning, we thank you for what a great God you are. A God who loves us, a God who is for us, a God who sees more in us than we ever see in ourselves. A God who wherever we are, you're inviting us to more. Wherever we are, you see value in us. Wherever we are, you have given us influence. But God, with those things that you see in us, those opportunities that you're calling us to, may we be courageous enough to utter these two words. Amen. There's risk involved, there's uncertainty involved, but there's also an unbelievable amount of potential that lies in waiting behind those two. We were meant to be influential, but we were also meant to be influenced. May we be courageous enough 